0: Good morning. How is everyone? Good. That's a good report. Uh, it's good to be back with you. Uh, I hope you saw the sign. Uh, I have a uh, curious title for my sermon: "Liar, liar." <laughs> the uh, the theme is pretty simple. The devil is a liar, <laughs> and we overcome the devil's lies by knowing and applying the truth of God's word. God's truth exposes the devil's lies and it equips us so we can be victorious over those lies. But before I dive into the meat today, I want to lay a foundation. Okay, I want to give you a a, a few quick principles. And these principles are going to provide a solid foundation so we can uh, have an understanding of what God is teaching us today. So here's the first thing that I want you to see quickly. God has a plan for your life. Okay? You were not created to stumble and bumble your way through life. If you're a believer in Jesus, your life has divine meaning your life has divine purpose it's going somewhere there's a god-given direction paul says in ephesians 2:10 that we were created for good works and listen to this good works that he created in advance for you to do so there's a plan god has kingdom work that he wants to accomplish through you And me. This isn't just for preachers, okay? This isn't just for missionaries. This is for every Christian everywhere. He gives us spiritual gifts. He plugs us into a church where we can put those gifts to work. He gives us ministry opportunities. God has a plan. Second principle the devil's goal is to make you ineffective. For the kingdom. John says he's the accuser. Jesus says he's a thief and a murderer. Peter says he's a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. What does all of this tell us? The devil has a plan too. He's coming after us, he's attacking us. That's guaranteed. He wants to keep us from accomplishing God's plan. Whatever He has to say, whatever He has to do, that's His goal. God wants us in the game. And what the devil wants is for us to be sitting on the bench, exhausted, defeated, demoralized. That's His goal. Number three, the devil is... A liar. Jesus says he's a liar. He's the father of lies. And lying is actually his nature. It's not what he does. It's who he is. And so it really shouldn't come as a surprise that one of his favorite ways of attacking us is through lies. He lies about God, especially God's love, and His goodness and His willingness to forgive us for sins. He lies about us and all of the things that God's accomplishing in us and through us. He lies about our circumstances. He wants to sow as much doubt and confusion as He can and maybe, just maybe, drive a wedge between you and God. He wants to make Us distracted, frustrated. He wants you to be full of worry, and He will lie, lie, lie to make that happen. Number four, the way to combat the devil's lies is with God's truth. There is power in the Word. When Jesus was tempted by the devil in the wilderness, He answered, every single temptation with the Word of God. And that's an example for us, a road map. I think Jesus would say to us, do what I did. Know the Word. It's powerful. It's true. It demolishes the enemy and everything the enemy throws at you. We have a weapon against the devil and we combat every lie of the devil with what God's Word says. His Word is truth. So that's our foundation. And now that we have some of the basics, let's take a look at uh, some of the devil's lies, four lies, and then what uh, uh, God's answer to those lies is. And you may be wondering, how did I choose these four lies for my sermon today? Well, I've seen some of them In the Bible, right? We read the stories of uh, men and women of faith and their struggles. And that's to help us. That's to teach us. I've seen some of them in my own life. And in the lives of people that I know and love and care for. Uh, And the point is, this isn't some kind of an academic exercise. These lies are real. And the devil is busy whispering these lies in our ears and the question is will we be defeated by these lies or will we have victory God wants us to be victorious amen we are on the winning team God wants us to have victory over the devil's lies so let's take a look at four lies of the devil and God's answer to each one of those lies here's the first lie You should be ashamed of what you've done. You should be ashamed of what you've done. The devil is the master of shame. It's always been one of his favorite weapons. When you sin, he'll bring shame. And his goal is to push you away from God. To literally drive a wedge between you and the only one who can rescue you from your sin and bring forgiveness. In Genesis chapter 3, we see Adam and Eve committing the very first sin. And when God comes to walk in the garden in the cool of the day, where are the man and the woman? They're hiding. Hiding in the garden. Shame and guilt and fear drove them away. And that's exactly what the devil wants. If you feel shame for your sins, that's not God. That's the devil trying to push you away from God. Okay, so how does God deal with sin? Good question. Thanks for listening. John chapter 16 gives us part of what's called the upper room discourse. It's where Jesus gets alone with his disciples for the Passover, and he knows that he's going to the cross. He has important things that he wants to tell the disciples. And he tells them the Holy Spirit is coming. And he gives the job description for the Holy Spirit. And one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is to bring conviction. Uh, John chapter 16. Verse 8, listen to what he says. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. He shows us what God's standard is. And he shows us how we've fallen short Of God's standard. And He declares to our hearts that sin is wrong. It's an offense against God. And it brings judgment. But thank God, He doesn't leave us there. The devil wants to push us away like Adam and Eve, hiding in the bushes. But God woos us, God draws us back to Himself. Second Corinthians, chapter seven, verse ten. Listen to what Paul says: Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But godly, I'm sorry, but worldly sorrow brings death. So the same Holy Spirit who convicts us reaches out to us in love and grace and brings sorrow, godly sorrow over the things we've done. He opens our eyes to the truth of God and God's Word and we see ourselves as we really are. We're sinners. We're deserving of judgment and only God can make things right. And He makes it possible for us to experience God's forgiveness through repentance. We repent. We turn away. We throw ourselves on the, the goodness and the mercy of God. And when we do, He brings salvation. And I love what the rest of this verse says. It leaves no regrets. See, worldly sorrow brings death. That's shame. Shame pushes us away from God and in the end, shame brings death but godly sorrow brings life eternal life because godly sorrow opens our eyes and our hearts to the saving work of God through Jesus Christ so if you're a believer today let me ask uh, if you're an unbeliever let me ask you a question are you buying into the devil's lie see are you letting shame push you Away and keep you away from God. So there's another way. There's another voice. The Holy Spirit is speaking to you. And instead of pushing you away, He's tugging at your heart. And He's drawing you to God, opening your eyes to the gospel, and introducing you to a Savior who loved you so much, He chose, He chose to die. For you. Will you say yes to his love today? But before I move to the next lie, I want to say a word to, to believers, those of you that know Jesus, you're walking with Jesus. The devil can make this same lie work for you too. Shame is a powerful emotion. And as followers of Jesus, we still sin. We fall short, and the devil knows that, and he wants to take advantage of that. So what does he whisper to you, believer, Christian? He says something like this. You say you love Jesus, but then you turn around and you do something like that? You say something like that? can you serve God with a sin like that hanging around your neck? How can you lead? How can you be a part of ministry? How can you even show your face in this room filled with God's people? I've got a verse for you. 1 John chapter 2 verse 1. The Apostle John writing to Christians everywhere. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Christ Jesus, the Righteous One. So let this verse really bless your heart, okay? You have somebody in your corner. (laughs) You have someone who is for you. Jesus loves you and He supports you, He cares for you, He stands up for you, He speaks up for you, even when you blow it. even when you sin. The devil wants you to look at your sin and just keep looking at it. Don't look at anything else, and then wallow in it. But John says, "Oh no, 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 look at Jesus. You fix your eyes on Jesus. Don't take your eyes off Jesus. He's the one that's standing up for you and speaking up for you. You've got an advocate. You've got a friend. You've got somebody in your corner. And understand this, He's not pushing you away. He's pulling you like a big bear hug. (laughs) Jesus loves you and He's waiting for you and He's ready to forgive. That's the first lie. Lie number two. Why would a loving God let that happen? Why would a loving God let that happen? I say this all the time, but it's true, so I keep saying it. Life is hard, but God is good. Life is hard, but God is good. It doesn't matter if you're a believer or an unbeliever, you're going to experience hardship in this life. You're going to face setbacks and failures. You're going to face sickness and death. You're going to face things that will disappoint you and things that will bring hurt and grief and loss. Your faith is going to be shaken and tested. And believe me, when those Hardships come, the devil shows up too, and he's whispering this lie. Why would God let that happen? I remember when uh, my world was rocked. It was almost 30 years ago. I was 23. My wife Brenda and I had been married for a year, and we were so excited we were expecting And uh, Brenda was seven months into the pregnancy. We were packing our luggage. We were getting ready to uh, uh, head out for Christmas. And we were still in the process of packing. And Brenda went to the hospital for what was supposed to be a routine non stress test. And in a moment, everything changed. We found out there wasn't one baby, but two. And neither one of them had a heartbeat. And our precious little girls, little redheads, were stillborn. I remember asking the question why? It's a perfectly obvious question. Why did this happen? And then it's so easy to go from why to why me? And this is where the devil really likes to work. He wants to camp out here. Why me? Let it occupy your thoughts. Keep bringing it up again and again. He wants you to convince yourself how unfair the whole thing is. He wants you to get frustrated and upset and angry. And before long, you move from why to why me to why God. And that's where we start to blame God. Why did you let this happen, God? Why? You say you love me. Is this your idea of love? And before you know it, you're spiritually paralyzed. You're not praying. You're not coming to church. You're giving God the spiritual stiff arm. I have two verses I want to share with you. And both of these verses help us to... Get God's perspective. And the first one is Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. This, people say they have a life verse. This is my life verse. This is the one I keep going back to over and over again. Uh, Good days, bad days. This verse uh, gives you understanding. It keeps your life in balance. And here are my two takeaways from this verse. Okay? this didn't have to go to seminary or anything to get these. These are pretty simple. All right? God is good. And that never changes. And God has a good plan for my life. And that never changes. See, the devil wants us to doubt God's goodness. But here's what we know to be true. Whatever might be happening in my life, whatever the circumstances might look like, God is good. And I keep my eyes on Jesus. Okay? Jesus. Not my circumstances. Jesus. And I remind myself that He's good that He's got a good plan and He's making that plan a reality in my life. And I'm trusting Him to walk with me through whatever this hardship might be. That was His promise. I'll never leave you, right? That's what He told us. So I know that He's walking by my side as I'm going through this and He'll bring me strength and healing and help and hope as I go through the difficult times and the dark times in life. The other verse that I want to share is also from Romans chapter 8. It's verse 18. And here's what Paul says in verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Brenda and I flew to Portland, Oregon A year and a half ago, I was officiating at a wedding on the West Coast. And I always try to grab the window seat, even if I have to push Brenda out of the way. (laughs) So I was sitting at my window seat, and I happened to look out the window, and I saw the clouds below. Uh, But they didn't look quite right, so I, I looked a little bit closer. And I realized I wasn't seeing clouds at all. What I was seeing was snow. We were crossing over the Rocky Mountains. And I was seeing the snow on the tops and the slopes of the Rocky Mountains. And it was a reminder to me of the power of perspective. The only reason that I could see this amazing sight was because I was 30,000 feet in the air. And this verse, Romans 8.18, is telling us that we have to get a new perspective. We have to get a heavenly perspective. Life is full of pain and hurts and sufferings. But as the people of God, we look at those things through heaven's point of view. I want you to imagine yourself standing in your heavenly perspective. Home place. Jesus said He was preparing a place for you, right? It's a, a heavenly place. It's a place where there's no pain. There's no death. All of the tears have been wiped away. And you're surrounded by all of the beauty and the grandeur of heaven. And you'll see Jesus in all of His fullness, In all of His glory. John says they don't even need the sun in heaven because the glory of Jesus is so bright. We'll see that with our own eyes. And the promise of the Word of God is that we will dwell with Him in this heavenly place forever and forever and forever. And if we see things from God's perspective, from this earthly perspective, from, from the, the viewpoint of God and that side of heaven, then these earthly trials and troubles begin to pale by comparison. So we stand on the promises of God and as we go through the troubles and the hardships, we begin to see things from God's perspective, God's point of view. And it gives us hope. It gives us hope. So that's the the second lie. Let's take a look at at our third lie today. Your life really doesn't matter. Your life really doesn't matter. Uh, Self-worth is a huge issue in America today, especially among teenagers. And if the statistics are true, it's really pretty frightening. I looked at one study that said seven out of ten girls think they're not good enough or they don't measure up in their looks, their academics, or their relationships. Seven out of ten. That means seven out of ten girls are vulnerable. And believe me, the devil knows it. The devil knows our Weaknesses and our vulnerabilities. And whether you're a boy or a girl, whether you're young or old, He wants us to feel small and unimportant. He wants us to feel like we don't measure up. Why? Because He wants us weak and unmotivated. He wants us wrestling with disappointment and discouragement and depression. He wants us to be restless and unsatisfied. And if He's successful in any of these areas, even one, it hurts our walk. It hurts our testimony. And it makes us ineffective for the work God's given us to do. We doubt ourselves. We doubt God. We doubt His call. We doubt His gifts. And before we know it, we see ourselves as failures. And I just want to stop for a moment and say that there are amazing heroes of the faith who have faced this kind of discouragement and despair. I think of David. Uh, David was constantly under attack. Uh, His generals were plotting against him. His own son (laughs) tried to take the throne. And in the Psalms, David talks a lot about being at the bottom of the pit feeling alone, feeling vulnerable. And even the prophet Elijah uh, reached a point in his ministry where he just dropped to the ground and he said, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. And see, the devil would love to relegate us to the pit. But we don't have to embrace his lies. We can... Rest, and we can find our identity in God's Word. So let me start with Psalm 139. And if you're ever struggling with self worth, I encourage you to open your Bible and read Psalm 139. Wonderful, wonderful reminders of who you are in the eyes of your Creator. He says we were created by God's loving hand. He knows us inside and out. He surrounds us with His love and protection. And wherever I go, He's with me. And even in the dark, He gives me a light so I can see. And then He comes to these wonderful verses, 13 and 14. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And Those aren't just words. God's speaking. God's reminding us that His heart is full of, Of love and He swells with pride over you. And He reminds us again and again through Scripture how valuable, how loved you are. He says you're His masterpiece. He says that you're the apple of His eye. He says you're His beloved. And I love in uh, in Zephaniah, He says I will rejoice over you with singing. Oh, I, I love singing to my grandkids. you know, And, and that's the picture. God crooning <laughs> over us. Singing these songs of, of love over us. What a great picture. So that's part of what God wants us to know. That we're His. And we're the objects of His love and His affection. But there's more. And... I want to share a verse out of uh, Jeremiah chapter 29. You may know this verse. Uh, Jeremiah 29:11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Never forget that God has written a story for your life he has plans for you these are God sized plans to accomplish God sized things God has a plan to prosper you and if you look at the original Hebrew the word is shalom uh, which means peace but in, in this context it's talking about wholeness that, that God's going to, uh, to work for us to promote our good to promote wellness and welfare. So God is uh, working for our good in the here and now, but he, but He's also giving us a future. He has plans, hope, and a future. He's looking forward in time. There's a future that's filled with this hope and this expectation. So how does all of this work together? See, as we walk in the plan of God day by day, you know that your life has meaning. Your life has purpose. And then every day gives you the hope for God to bring even bigger and better things. So don't let you uh, don't let the, uh, the devil try to convince you that your life is small. Your life is hopeless. You don't amount to anything. Your identity is found in Christ. You're precious in His sight and He has a plan for your life. And it's a plan that's good and it's full of promise and hope. And I believe that as you embrace your God-given identity and as you walk in your God-given plan, two things happen. Number one, God receives glory. And number two, you'll find contentment and satisfaction. So know who you are. You're a king's kid. You're a king's kid. He loves you more than you know. And he has kingdom work for you to do. That's what we should know about who we are. And that's what we should be busy doing. Being the king's kid. Alright, so last, last lie. Are you ready? Ready to land the plane? Alright, here's the last one. You've given God so much you should keep something for yourself. You've given God so much you should keep something for yourself. One of the biggest themes in the Bible is growth. Growth in the life of the believer. You grow in your faith and when it comes to spiritual things you're learning Uh, hopefully you're getting smarter you're getting stronger and that's true don't get me wrong that's true but don't think for a minute that the devil gives up you may be an older and a more seasoned Christian but I guarantee you there's still a mark on your back the devil will still attack you but he ups his game okay okay he uh, he adapts his strategy and this i think is a lie that works well for believers who have a few years of uh, of christian living under their belt okay so the devil comes along and you can almost picture how this is working he comes up he, he pats you on the back and says you've been working so hard good job good job but you know you deserve a break don't you you really deserve a payoff on all of this investment of yours into this Christianity thing. And I've seen this take a few different forms. Sometimes we think we can rest on our laurels. That's one thing that can happen. Uh, so maybe God's stirring your heart. He's got some uh, new things, some new work. And uh, and we say, oh, I don't know, God, you know. Uh, I've uh, I've done so much already. Look at my resume. I've been so busy for the kingdom. Uh, I think I've done enough for king and country. I'm I'm done. Or sometimes, sometimes we actually uh, think that we can bargain with God. You know, we've been a Christian for so long that, that we think we can dictate terms. So you know, it might go something like this: God's calling you to some kind of missions, and. Uh, and you say, okay, God, I, I understand there's a call, uh, and I'm willing to say yes, but I'm not uprooting my family, okay? Uh, I'll serve you from here, I'll do what I can, but uh, there's no relocating, that's off the table. Sometimes we think that we can convince God that He should overlook a pet sin in our lives. Now I've worked so long, God so hard I've been a Christian all this time Uh, I've gone through so much suffered so much for you God I think I deserve a free pass on this sin don't you let me give you a couple of verses so that you can beat the devil on this lie first one is from 1st Corinthians chapter 6 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. See, the reason this particular lie is so effective with us is because we think we own our life. And we think we own God all of our stuff, all of the things that we have, our possessions. But the truth is, we don't. We've been bought. Jesus rescued us from sin and death and hell and He paid the highest price you can imagine. He gave His own life. He spilt His own blood and we are His. That's why He's Lord. He's Lord over all creation, but He's also Lord over your life. Every breath you breathe is a gift from God. Everything you have in this life, every possession is a gift from His hand. He's the Creator. You and I are the creatures. And it all belongs to Him. So we have to begin there with a biblical understanding of the Lordship of Christ and what it really means to be His. See, I give freely, whether it's my time or my talent or my treasure, and I give because none of it's mine to begin with. It's His. I'm a steward. So I give because it's His. I serve. Because I'm His. And then I want to take a look at Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Also a favorite verse of mine. This is going to show us what authentic worship looks like. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. When Paul was writing this verse, he was writing with the whole burnt offering in mind. Uh, if you've ever uh, gotten through the book of Leviticus, I know that's what <laughs> you're reading from, from Genesis. That's okay. Exodus, that's okay. Leviticus is like this wall that you run into. But as you're reading uh, those early chapters, uh You see the different sacrifices that were to be made by the Old Testament believer. Uh, You would bring a bull or a lamb to the temple and the entire animal would be put on the altar and it would be burned up. Everything was given to God. Nothing was kept back. And so that's the picture that Paul is drawing for us. What he says to you and me is we're to become a living Sacrifice Instead of a lamb or a bull We put our lives On the altar And we give all of it to God We don't keep anything back For ourselves And that's a sacrifice That's pleasing to God See worship Is a lifestyle It's not something that we do on Sundays When we walk through the doors of the church. It's a lifestyle. It's a willingness to give our lives over to God every day, day by day, as long as we have air to breathe. That's worship. And if I only give God part of my life and I keep part of it back, I'm not really worshiping. (laughs) In fact, I'm cheating God. He deserves a wholehearted worship. He deserves a worship where I lay everything on the altar. My heart, my mind, my soul, my strength. Sound familiar? Jesus talked about that. I'm laying it all on the altar. Don't buy the lie. You've got to determine in your heart that you're going to be a Romans 12.1 Christian. And offer yourself to God. As a living sacrifice. You keep reading in Leviticus. And what you'll find is that. The sacrifices in the Old Testament. Would go up. To the throne room of God. As a fragrant smell. And it was a blessing to God. And God was exalted. It brought honor. And it brought glory to his name. So here's the challenge. For you and me. Will you be a living sacrifice and be a blessing to God. See, so you can bring glory to God. You can bring honor to God by putting your life where it belongs, on the altar. And by giving it to God, not a part of it, not most of it, all of it, keeping nothing back. Will you be a Romans 12.1 Christian? And let your life go up into the throne room of God where He receives the glory. I'm going to bring things to a close. I know it's tempting for you to start reaching for your stuff, gathering your belongings, Um, let your mind wander a bit, but let me ask you to give these next few moments to God. I'm going to have you to stand up if you would. I don't know if this is your practice or not, but I like to stand. And if you're struggling with any one of these lies in your own life, I want to encourage you to pray. You can come to the altar and pray. You can stand right where you are and pray. But don't let the lie continue to thrive in your life. Deal with it. Confront it with the truth of the Word of God. Uh, Be honest before God. Be transparent and uh, ask God to take the truth of his word and to give you victory over that lie. And I'm sure that there are men and women in this room who can come alongside you and pray with you and for you. And if there's anybody in the room today who doesn't know Jesus, you're still struggling with that first lie, please understand he loves you he did the hard part. He went to the cross. He suffered. He died. He raised from the dead victoriously so that you could enjoy eternal life with Him. Say yes to Jesus today. We have a great hymn of invitation picked out. and I want to encourage you just to listen to God as we sing together.